me? Yes, here, yeah, now we are on. Good one. All right, how about you just get up for a second, say hello to someone again, give it a wiggle. <laughs> wiggle, wiggle. <laughs> Okay, so stop your conversation halfway through and finish us later on outside. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you, but that's awesome. Just to get us a bit more fresh again. Hi, everybody. I'm Leona. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have this massive privilege today to bring you the Word of God. Um, I'm very excited about this. I'm very excited about this whole season. Last week, we started a new sermon series, and the sermon series is called The Table. Dave told us last week about the Passover, and he said how the Lord led the Israelites out of Egypt. And he said how the Lord sent different plagues to the Egyptians in order to free Israel. And the last plague was that the firstborn son of every Egyptian family would be put to death overnight. But he said to his people, he said, if you sacrifice a lamb and you put this plot of the lamb on the door, on the top and on the sides, no one will, no one will die. This plot on that door saved the firstborn son of each family in this night. And Dave said that later on in the Passover meal, that the last cup, what Jesus fulfilled on the cross, saved us. That table was a significant table. We see tables all throughout the scriptures. We see how the Lord is using different tables in different ways. Um, we celebrate around the table. We have full-on conversations sometimes around the table. We sit there as a family and we gather. Tables are, as they were in the Old Testament, important. They are also important to us today. So today we talk about a different table. Today we are talking about the tabernacle which is my cheap attempt this morning. Can you see how beautiful it is? The tabernacle, and inside the tabernacle, this golden table. Today we are talking about the Lord's presence in our lives. So before I start um, to really get into this table <laughs> a bit more, I give you a tiny bit of a history lesson here. So stay awake, right? It won't take too long, but it's actually really exciting. I love when Dave said one day that it's all about his story, Right? So that excited me, really it did, because all of this here is God's story and God's way to show us his presence in our life. So after the Israelites left Egypt and they were on their journey to the promised land, they have just seen the Lord rescuing them from the Egyptians. Like they've just seen all these plagues that we talked about. And they went into the desert, towards the desert. I don't know if any of you is a fan of Bear Grylls here. I certainly am. Have you ever seen any of his series on TV? If not, get in. It's awesome. The, um, there is a new one out which, where he just survives in the harshest places in this world and, and, and tells stories of survival. And one story of survival he told um, just recently is how to survive in the desert. And I watched it and I was like, it takes like 48 hours for the body to be in shutdown almost. Like for the Israelites to walk in this rough place, it's been harsh. It's been really tough. So they were walking and walking, and then they, fair enough, they got hungry and thirsty. And they came to Moses, and they said, Moses, what's, this, what's all of this here? Why did you lead us out, all, out of Egypt 
to actually die here in this desert place. We are hungry and we are thirsty. What are you going to do about it? Surely there's more to this. And we can often read it and be like, man, they were crumpy people. Weren't they? But I think I get crumpy when I'm hungry too. <laughs> so Moses went to God and he prayed to the Lord and he asked, um, he asked to provide. And the Lord did. The Lord sent manna from heaven and the Lord said to Moses, here, hit, hit this rocky with a stick and water comes out of it. And his people had enough to eat and to drink. The Lord always, always cared for his people. The Lord was always interested to be present in his people's life. Sometimes I think we look at the God in the Old Testament and we're like, ah, oh, it's a bit of a different God. It's a bit of a harsher one compared to the New Testament. But really, I think as we unfold all of the story here, it's pretty obvious how the Lord always longed to dwell with his people. He was always a God who wanted to commune with us. So what did we do? The Lord created us. He created us in his own image. And then he dwelt with us in the garden with Adam and Eve. It says that he was dwelling with them. And then we rebelled. And then there was a separation between God and his people. But God always longed to be in relationship with his creation. So three months after the Israelites went out of Egypt, they reached the desert of Sinai. And then they put their tents up on the bottom of the mountain, on the bottom of the mountain of Sinai. And Moses went up the mountain to meet with God. And the Lord said to him that if Israel, if this nation would obey his agreement, that this nation would be his possession, there would be his people, his holy nation. And later on, God asked Moses to get this whole nation ready to meet him. So Moses was like, all right, guys, we need to really clean up here right now. So all of you, you need to clean your clothes. You need to go through all this cleansing and washing and get ready. And it was hard, hard work. And then they came to this mountain. And then the Lord said to Moses, Moses, put a line around this mountain here. And anybody who is entering or stepping over this line whether it will be a person or an animal, will be put to death. This is how significant it was to enter the presence of the Lord because he's so, so holy. So holy. The story is a bit longer, but then one day, God came down on top of the mountain in a cloud. There was lots of smoke there because God came in the fire. And he called Moses up, and then God said to Moses, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But don't allow any of the priests or the people to force their way through to me. They must not come up to the Lord or I will punish them. Again, we see how not everybody could just easily enter the Lord's presence. It wasn't like that you and I could just walk up this mountain and be like, hi, God, here am I, can we just have a conversation? It was not like this. It was a very significant moment when the Lord reached out and invited someone to come into his presence. So Moses went up, and the Lord gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And then the Lord gave Moses the instructions on how to build this tabernacle here, the holy tent. So this tent structure would be the place where the Lord promised Moses to dwell inside while the nation of Israel was on their journey. This was the place, 
the Lord wanted to dwell in the midst of his people. What God was actually doing here is that he was restoring the Eden ideal from right in the beginning in Genesis, as he was always wanting to dwell with his people. This is God's dwelling place amongst them. So he wanted, to, he wanted the Israelites to see that he's there for them always, a holy God among sinful people who just before worshipped a golden calf. Just let this sink in. And yet the Lord was so keen to just be amongst them. The tabernacle is also described as a tent of congregation. The Lord wanted his people to gather, to come together, to do faith in community, to commune with him. So the instructions to build this tabernacle were extremely specific. And I think I really realized this week how much our Lord loves the little details. I'm not so much of a fan of it, but he really loves it. He explained exactly what this tent should look like. The lampstand, the altar for the burnt offering, the clothes that the priest should wear, and the table. And then God asked the best of the best to build it and everything that was inside of it. So let's read Exodus 25, the verses 23 to 30. And this is the passage where the Lord described how to build the table as we talk about the table today. It says, You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall it be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners as its four legs. Close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense, and its flagons and bowls with which to pour the drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence of the on the table, I said that again, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. So here's a picture of what this table looked like. This is a de-destruction of this table. The Lord really loved it all, and it was made of pure, pure gold. Why do you think God had given Moses such detailed instructions? It was an enormous effort for the Israelites to get all of this done. The Lord wanted his people to bring the gifts in to build the table. Remember, the Israelites just came out of Egypt. They only had on them what they literally brought out of this country. So this whole process here to build the tabernacle and the table was a massive sacrifice in worship for them. But this is what the Lord asked them to step into. Yet what happened? The people came and they came. And they came and they got so eager for the Lord's presence to dwell amongst them that the call actually went out and be like, stop, got enough, <laughs> keep your gold. <laughs> they were generous. It was incredible. The Lord wanted them to, t the Lord could have just made it with a snap of his fingers, but he wanted them to take it serious, to uphold it, to hold this whole tabernacle, his holy tent, his presence dwelling with them, to hold it worthwhile. So then we read about the instructions of the bread. 
Let's do this. It's in Leviticus 24, the verses 5 to 9. It says, You shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. So the Lord said to them to put 12 loaves of bread on this table in piles of six. And he said that this bread is called the bread which represents his presence. This is what this bread did. And every time when the priest broke this bread, it reminded them that the sacrifice was done and that the Lord's presence dwelt with them. And this had to be done every single week. But there was still a gap between the priest and the Lord that went inside. And this was this curtain. It was the curtain to the Holy of Holies. This is in the back room, in the Holy of Holies. This was the place where the Lord's presence dwelt. Only once a year could a high priest enter through this curtain. So this curtain here is a beautiful spotlight curtain, but the curtain back in the day, it says it was nine centimeters thick, and it was woven in a way that it could physically literally not be torn apart. It was so heavily, amazingly done. And then this curtain was set up in a way where the priest actually had to walk around it and around it in order to get to the Holy of Holiest. So it couldn't just accidentally just flip open. For the presence of the Lord to be revealed. It was a heavy, heavy duty curtain. So let's come back to the front room, the room which is called the Holy, and the table. So they were asked to put 12 breads on it, 12 loaves of bread. Why 12? We often hear that Bibles in the number are, um, numbers in the Bible, Bibles in the, but numbers in the Bibles are quite, quite significant. And so it is here. We read um, the number 12 is prominently throughout the Bible. In the book, in the Old Testament, in Genesis, we read how Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons later on became the 12 tribes of Israel. We hear that Jesus had 12 disciples. We read in the book of Revelation that the kingdom of God has 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. The number 12 often represents authority and perfection. And those 12 loaves right on this table there symbolizes God's perfect peace with his people through sacrificial worship. I say that again. Those 12 breads there, they represented God's perfect peace through sacrificial worship. This is what the Lord wanted to remind Aaron and his sons of, and therefore all of Israel, that he is with them, that he dwells amongst them, and that he can give them his perfect peace. 
But still, as we said, at this point, only the priests had access to this direct presence. So you and I probably would have never seen the inside of this beautiful tent. A bit sad. But God so longed for his presence to be available to everybody. He said to Moses in Exodus 19.6 that if Israel kept their covenant to God, that he would make them a nation of priests, plural, and a holy nation. So this tabernacle here was the portable temple. And later on under King Solomon, we see how the actual temple was being built. But the layout was exactly the same. So let's make it a bit visual. Where was the presence of God? In the Holy of Holies, behind the red curtain. The bread on the table presented his presence. When the priest broke the bread, it reminded them that a sacrifice was done and that God's presence dwelt with them. And who could enter this tabernacle? Only the priests. And what about us? What about the normal people? They did not have the Holy Spirit like we have today. They could only go to the priest and ask him to talk on their behalf to the Lord. So the priest breaking the bread was the person back then who stood in the gap between the people and the Holy God. That was his role. That was what he was doing. And this is why he also had to go through all this cleansing and so on and so on. So, but God was living amongst the people, but only still a very few could enter it. So something clearly had to change. Otherwise, it would just stay like this forever. So what does all of this remind you of? Now we're coming, obviously, to this point. The number 12, God's promise to be with us. His, his, the prayer that represents the presence of the Lord. God's ultimate plan, Jesus. So on the evening before Jesus was crucified, he had this last supper with his disciples. What we also call communion. So let's read it. Luke 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourself. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to them and saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when Jesus breaks the bread at this last supper, he is saying that he is making peace with his people once and for all. He is doing it forever. It is so exciting. Jesus is in this moment. He is demonstrating his highly priestly nature. The priests back then could only break the bread for the sons, but Jesus broke this bread here for everybody, for all of us. And the moment when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, what happened? The curtain tore, didn't it? From top to bottom. The curtain tore. Jesus 
got rid of the curse. He defeated it. He is the king. He is, his broken body is the means through which we can enter the Lord's presence once and for all. This is so, so exciting. I'm just so excited about this. Just let this sink in for a bit, what Jesus actually did on this cross. We believe in the very same God as the God who led the Israelites out of Egypt. We believe in the same God that is having the bread represented on this table and who is far, far bigger than any golden table in history ever. Ever. So by celebrating communion and remembering, we are remembering exactly this, that Jesus had made a way for us to enter the presence of the Lord once and for all. John 1.14 says that the word, which is Christ, became flesh, so human, and dwelt amongst us. And in fact, the word John uses here for dwell in Greek means, this is so cool, listen, means to live in a tent, pointing you straight back to Moses and the tabernacle. It is so amazing. So Jesus is the bread of presence. Jesus is the bread that once was there on the table. And who is the tent? We don't have a fancy temple anymore, do we? I mean, we are, we are having a gym. That's great. So who is, who is the tent? It's us. How cool is this? So in this moment, on that cross, what Jesus said is, as I am the bread of presence. And when I now go up, I will send the Holy Spirit. And then you are my tent. It says in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, all of us being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's us. That is so cool. I just love always how the Bible points everything back to Jesus. I think it, literally this book can only come from a holy God. It's way too complicated for any human to even consider writing all of this. Right? When you just keep on reading and you put one puzzle piece together and then at the end you see this whole jigsaw puzzle and everything points to Christ, it just gives you goosebumps. You're just like, oh, it's so good, God. Thank you so, so much. It's just amazing. So good. So you may say now, great, Leona, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for all this uh, lecture here right now, but what does that actually practically mean? Practically mean? What does it mean to have Jesus as our table in our lives. Well, as I said, that unlike the people of Israel, we now have the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have access to the Holy God. We are living in a time in world history, past Jesus now, where we have this massive privilege to enter the kingdom. So the big question is, what do we do with it? How do I include God in my life? Well, God's dwelling in us means that he's always there for us in good times and in bad times, in difficult moments in life. He is available. We can pray whenever and wherever we are. And in fact, Paul encourages us to continuously pray, like always. And when we read this, that can almost freak us out, can't it? It's like, whew, how do I even do this? Right? But I strongly believe that the more we dive in and the more we get to know the Lord we are believing in in Jesus, this 
constantly praying and including him in our lives, it's not a burden anymore. It becomes a privilege. It actually becomes like, wow, God, thank you for being a part of it. So we can include him in all areas of our lives because Jesus has built the bridge for us right there. Sometimes I wonder if we take it a bit for granted, if I take it for granted. Like I wasn't the one hanging on this cross suffering. It was me. So it was done for me. I, I can maybe try to empathize and be like, thank you, Jesus, and amen. But, yeah, I just always question, man, Lord, just let it sink in. What this moment when this curtain tore, just physically impossible, what, what does it actually mean? Like the significance of this event. When I was a teenager and I grew up in Germany in Europe, um, Europe, something that I missed probably a tiny bit here in Aussie land, has always great sense of fashion. So there's always massive waves coming out and all of a sudden the next fashion comes out and everybody is like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Anyway, our, the mid-90s, there was a fashion about a shoe. And oh man, I love this shoe. I just wanted to see this shoe. I wanted to have it, though my heart. But that shoe was cost over 200 Deutsche Mark, which back then was incredibly expensive. And my dad said to me, Leona, he could have bought it. He did say to me, Leona, I won't buy this shoe for you. I give you a bit. I would give you as much as I would give you for a normal shoe. But you need to come to my company and you need to work. And so I went and I did some, like, the f sorting out all the bills in alphabetical order. Really boring. But finally, I had this money. And I remember the moment when I went to the shop and I bought this shoe. And I was so excited. And I treasured that shoe. I, it meant something to me because I obviously put effort in. So can we review my beautiful shoe? I was so proud I found it online. <laughs> that was Europe in the 90s. That was so good. Like, if you were in fashion, you had that shoe. So good. And I, I just loved this shoe. I sometimes wonder if we take the Holy Spirit for granted in our life, to take our prayer life for granted, because it wasn't us who suffered on that cross. And this is not a guilt trip here at all. Not at all. I'm in the same boat as all of us here probably. Right? But it is like a moment of actually realizing right now, like what is the significance when Jesus broke this bread and this curtain was being torn? And what does it actually do in my life? It is often easy to include him in good moments in life and really difficult in tough moments when we are suffering, when life doesn't go its way. There was a person in the Old Testament, and most of us would have heard about him. It's David, and David was a good songwriter, so you guys would have gotten on with him really well. He would have put me in the back row. <laughs> but David wrote a psalm, which was a beautiful psalm, which described his relationship with the Lord and, and the Lord's presence while David was suffering. We all know, probably most of us know this psalm. Let's read it together. It's Psalm 23. Listen out how David actually describes his relationship to God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen out of the sentence, so good. You prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was actually a very prophetical psalm David wrote before Jesus. But the verse that never really made sense to me a lot was the preparing a table in front of my enemies. And I really hope that with all of this here today, that you're like, boy, that's what David meant. Like he knew, he knew the table. He knew the bread of presence. Like he knew this. So there is a lot I could say about this whole psalm. But I want to focus on the verse where David mentioned the table as we are talking tables, right? It says here that he will prepare a table for us in the presence of the enemies. Thus, but God never promised us to take away all our struggles in life. He never did. He never said, well, at the moment you decide to follow me, everything will go smoothly. He didn't. But he does say that he is in the midst of it, that he, will, he wants to travel the hardship through it with us, that Jesus' presence in our life can live. So the table in the psalm is no longer just this tabernacle. It is Christ and the Lord's presence of the Holy Spirit in us, in him as a tent, as his tent. And the table here in the psalm is a place of rest and comfort. We can know his peace because we've got the Holy Spirit. He says that when we have the Spirit, we can experience peace beyond understanding. There was once a competition amongst different artists, and the competition was to make a painting which represented the rest. And different paintings came in, a sleeping baby, a, um, a sunset, like, you know, like a lamb on the grass, whatever we consider as rest. And then another painting was handed in, and this one. And you can see in this painting how there is a waterfall, and there is water just crushing everywhere. It's windy. There's thunder in the background. You can, you can just see the noise almost in it. But if you really look deep into this picture, in the bottom center corner, just a bit up, you can see a bird's nest. And you can see a bird. Can you see it? Where the water is just flushing underneath it. And you can see a bird resting in this bird's nest. Life is not easy, and sometimes we have many waters clashing on us and waterfalls exploding and thunders in the background. But what God is asking us to do is to rest in the birth's nest, to commune with him at his table, and to enter his presence. So I guess the question, or the big question, is how do I rest in him? I believe that by trying to have faith, we will never enter rest. By trying to believe in God, I haven't entered rest. But I believe that by, to actually live life by faith, and not a, it's not a struggle, it is rest. And you can enter it in every area of your life. I believe rest is trust. Rest equals peace. Rest means quieting down all our racing thoughts and concerns and just hand them over to the Lord and trust Him with us. To actually believe to choose faith, to choose trust, and to choose God. So make good choices to all of us. The Lord has given us a free will. From the very beginning, we had a free will. 
and it's up to us to make good choices in life too. If I choose to eat healthy from now on, I will probably soon see it. And if I choose to keep on eating a piece of chocolate or five or six or ten every day, I will also soon see it. And the same counts with our spiritual life. If I actually choose to enter the presence of the Lord, to have the time to pray, to sit with him at his table, to include him into every area of my life, he promises us that he will shape and mold us to become the person like Jesus was, more and more towards Christ. How awesome is that? So may I ask, what difference does the presence of the Lord make in your life? Does he make a difference? Do you include him? Or do we all take the Holy Spirit for granted? And what happens if we actually believe all of this here, all of this? Right from the beginning of Genesis, when he dwelt with us in the garden to the rebellion, to him entering earth again in the dwelling place of the holy of holiest, to now us being his tent and his Holy Spirit living inside us, his spirit dwelling with us, that we have the access like, to pray to the most holy God in heaven. What difference does that make in our lives? And hear me, I'm not having it all sorted by no means. I'm right on this journey. Good days and bad days, chuckles and highs, lows and whatever. But that's a message, people. That's a message the world needs to know. If this is true, what does it actually do in our lives? And hear me, like, we are saved by grace and by grace alone. Amen and full stop. That's it. But we also have good choices we can make in life to present him the best we can and to make this cross worthwhile, the sacrifice that it actually was when this moment happened. So, Beth, you can come up. We are now celebrating communion together. And as we celebrate communion, I just would like to read us one verse first. It says in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. But he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's really my prayer, that we live this life authentically here in this world. That we don't just put on a show and be like, hey, man, look at me, and hey, we got it all sorted. Like, life is tough. Life is like this waterfall. It's a pretty tough gig sometimes, and it's okay to struggle. But it's important to learn how to rest and how to sit in this bird's nest, how to commune with him at his table. So let me pray. Jesus, Lord, we thank you, Christ, that you are the only one who could have ever torn this curtain in halves in this temple to make access to us, to the holy of holiest, Lord. What a significant moment in history, in world history this was, that moment on the cross when you said it is finished.
Jesus, we just praise you. We are in awe of you. We love you. We, um, yeah, it's a privilege to live this life for you and with you, Lord. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would just come and refresh all of us, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would remind us daily what it means to enter the presence of the Lord. Maybe not run away from it, Jesus, but maybe run towards you, Christ. May we include you more and more in every area of our lives, Lord. May we never take it for granted what it means to be able to enter your presence, holy God, because you're holy. Thank you that you made a way for us, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. So as we have communion right now, in the back there is the table, um, the gluten-free table. On the sides there are the other tables. Take your time and pray. And just reflect on, celebrate that you have the Lord's presence in your life today. And if you want, if you're actually wondering and you are here and you have no idea what that actually means, what it means to have the Lord's presence in your life, then can I invite you to just come up here to the front? There will be more people probably who are happy to help you and pray with you and invite this Holy Spirit, this Jesus into your life. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.